With over 25 years of founding startups and leading global product and innovation initiatives, our next guest is leveraging his passions and skill set to help our healthcare industry rapidly and sustainably create, adopt, and implement healthcare innovation at scale. Aaron Martin, Executive Vice President and Chief Digital and Innovation Officer at Providence, joins us to discuss how he and his team are building a world-class digital innovation hub to identify unmet needs and drive solutions designed to improve health at the community level. Additionally, Aaron shares how his previous professional pursuits set the stage for him to help lead a national movement of industry professionals prioritizing healthcare innovation that improves convenience, lowers costs, and improves quality. Join us for this timely conversation to learn why and how Aaron and his team invest in its communities and health innovation leaders to create lasting change across the healthcare industry and our nation. Let's go. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Aaron, it's a treat to finally say it. Welcome to our podcast, my friend. Hey, thanks so much for having me here, Mike. Well, given your deep understanding and execution of the innovation priorities for Providence and the overall U.S. health system, I'm looking forward to this conversation today. But before we dive in, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Clubhouse in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Aaron, it's almost time for our community to learn how you have helped lead Providence, a comprehensive healthcare organization with over 120,000 caregivers serving in 52 hospitals and over 1,000 clinics across seven states in creating a world-class digital innovation hub that is directly impacting the patients you serve and the leaders you employ. But first, Aaron, what's that one piece of advice that you would give to others who are passionate about reimagining the health of our world? Be intensely curious. Easy enough. Why is that needed now more than ever, Aaron? It's a very interesting time, so much changing. Why is that needed now more than ever? The details matter in healthcare, and if you don't feel like you're a student of it and it's, you know, kind of forever learning, you're not going to be successful. Sometimes our teams have iterated under really, really simplistic assumptions and have hit, hit the wall around a detail that really, really mattered. So it's really important that you're very curious. You care about like finding out as much as you can about what the patient is going through, what the caregiver is going through, the process is like, and those types of things. So it's very, very important. So let me devil's advocate that because healthcare is fraught with orthodoxy. Aaron, this is how it's always been done. Aaron, this is the way we have to do it. I can't take risk. I can't try something new. How do you as a senior executive at one of our national leading institutions and the things that you're leading at Providence, how do you instill that culture across the organization to ensure that all team members know to be curious and try new things? I think the key thing is if you're talking to somebody around change, especially say, for instance, clinicians and caregivers, these tend to be scientists, right? And they want to see data. And so if you can kind of provide data or evidence around why something might make sense, 
they respond to it. We've done several projects within our health system that have been kind of exercises in self-disruption. And that's the most intensely hard thing you can kind of pull off within any culture. And the way that we got through it is just kind of proving out the hypothesis that we had with data. And then also what you tend to see as well is, is, is kind of the success of a project gains momentum. And you've also got to continuously communicate. One of the best pieces of advice I got starting at Providence was don't become a black box. Like you've got to be incredibly transparent, which feels a little bit different if you kind of come out of, you know, the intense secrecy that is like the tech company, but you got to be transparent. You got to constantly communicate what you're working on and what you're doing because the organization will get suspicious about your progress or what you're up to or those types of things if you're not really kind of communicating effectively. So, and I actually got that from one of the sisters of Providence. So this very, very incredible 80-year-old sister who I asked her, what's the one thing that I should know before kind of getting started here? And she said, don't become a black box. Make sure that you become very, very transparent. I love it, Aaron. And you mentioned something that we're going to dive into here in just a moment, this notion of self-disruption, which, of course, a large part of that is innovation, trying new things, iterating, failing, failing fast, and really pushing the envelope to ensure that self-disruption is part of the culture and part of the ethos. We're going to unpack all of that after we get back from thinking our community champion sponsor. Located in Denver, Colorado's nationally ranked River North District, Catalyst is a healthcare innovation campus that brings together stakeholders from across the industry to accelerate innovation and drive real, lasting change our nation desperately needs. From established organizations to startups, from accelerators to advocacy organizations, and from medical schools to global companies, everyone at Catalyst works side by side to create, develop, refine, and bring to market cutting-edge innovations that will fundamentally transform healthcare as we know it. With industry leaders like Medical Group Management Association, Olive, Medical Solutions, UC Health, Cirrus MD, and many others calling Catalyst home, along with innovative pioneers visiting from across the nation, Catalyst continually fosters their foundational belief that collaboration and partnerships will move the healthcare industry forward. To virtually tour Catalyst and claim your space on campus or host an upcoming event, visit CatalystHealthTech.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Aaron Martin, Executive Vice President and Chief Digital Innovation Officer at Providence. Aaron, thank you so much for teeing us up for what is going to be an exciting conversation. I've been waiting for this one for quite some time. This notion of self-disruption, this notion of innovation being a core part of what you're doing at Providence, which is you're a leader now across our country, have been for some time. Many of us look to you and your team as how to really get to that next mark, that next milestone, that next future and reality of where we need to go as industry leaders here in healthcare. But of course, Aaron, you didn't come from healthcare, which I personally love. You are not a lifer, right? I didn't do 40 years in healthcare. You didn't come from this industry, which is amazing. The story's incredible. I want to first talk about where were you before? How did you get pulled into healthcare? Where you guys are today? What are you seeing happening in this marketplace? Lots changing really fast. And then, of course, where things are heading and how do we answer the innovation call of tomorrow? Then how we can be helping you. But first, Aaron, take our community back. How the heck did you get into healthcare in the first place? You know, it's interesting. A long, long time ago, I was in healthcare, worked at a healthcare company actually in Nashville studied healthcare at business school, did healthcare consulting, and then took a total right turn. I met my co-founder of my first business 
an incredible person named Angie Kim, who is like one of these bizarrely talented individuals who can do whatever she wants. She decided she was bored with being a lawyer, wanted to go into business, met her at McKinsey. And then she and I started a company in banking and financial services software. So it was a total right-hand turn. I was the least cool founder of a technology company during the dot-com bubble because I was running a SaaS software company and banking and financial services software, which turned out to be not too cool, but also a great outcome. I'm going to interrupt you there because you're a drummer on the side in your personal life. So maybe you brought the coolness being a drummer. I mean, I don't know. Being a drummer seems pretty cool as well. Yeah. If you've ever met me, you'll know that there's not much cool. (laughs) I'm as cool as like a 52-year-old dad. So anyways, she and I founded that company along with a third person. Then I sold that, founded another company in manufacturing software, equally glamorous, and then sold that company and then went to Amazon and was there for eight years. I really enjoyed it. Probably one of the coolest, actual coolest businesses I've ever been involved in, self-publishing and print-on-demand business for Amazon. And very little known fact, but a lot of the books that you buy off of Amazon are actually made the day before. And basically factories that are contained within their fulfillment centers. And that's what my team built. And the reason why, and these are basically like huge bus size printers that print one book at a time. We built this global platform that allows authors to self-publish their books on demand, digital and in physical, get paid in their local currency. And so if you've got a book, you can just go online, use some free tools, format a book or upload book file, and you're a self-published author. And if you're like me, I self-published a book. I think three people would buy it. Maybe my wife, you know, maybe my dad. You're not out anything because they only charge you for the books that are printed. Hugely disruptive to the publishing industry. So now that is a very, very big kind of sub rosa business at Amazon. And it's incredible to watch the process. You know, when orders drop in, you can see a book being made in real time, as well as a digital book. Built that business, scaled it up very dramatically, very quickly. And then went from there to Kindle. One day I was in Kindle, kind of minding my own business, working on a project and got this call from a headhunter I knew from my days in consulting. And he would usually kind of talk to me every month about some job at another big tech company. And I'd say, look, I'm working at the big tech company, I think is the best. And so no real interest in leaving. And this, <laughs> this one day he calls me up and he's like, hey, Aaron, I've got two words for you. Don't hang up. Nonprofit healthcare, he's still there. And I was like, what? And I don't even think he knew that I was in healthcare before. You know, most people don't know that. He said, look, I've got these two, the CEO and the COO of this health system you probably never heard of. Locally, it's branded Swedish, but it's known as Providence. And they are really, really interested in kind of thinking through how digital is going to disrupt their industry. And you have to remember, like eight years ago, a lot was going on in healthcare. This is when The ACA was first launching. It was just a few years after meaningful use. Medicaid expansion was happening. And this was not on the radar of most senior executives. So they were very prescient to kind of even want to make an investment in this space that early. And so they kind of had me at hello, went and met with Rod and Mike. The rest was history, as it were. And so got started from there. Well, Aaron, thanks so much for that and teeing us up. But I do have one more question around that. Was it important when the recruiter contacted you? And then, of course, even more importantly, to senior leadership at Providence, were they looking for somebody that wasn't, again, historical in healthcare? I know, like you said, you started out in healthcare, then you had a nice tenure at Amazon. 
was it important to them and for them to find somebody that has been outside of industry to lead the digital innovation charge at Providence? I remember talking to Mike and Rod about that. That was what they were looking for, that they thought it was really important to get somebody from outside of industry to do so. Yeah, absolutely. It's important. And why was this role so important at that time? You mentioned eight years ago, there was a lot going on. There's still a lot going on today. But why was it so important for Mike and Rod at that time to bring somebody in? What was happening? Maybe give us a little bit of understanding of the dynamics at play of why they wanted to make this investment within the organization. Yeah, I think part of it was they had just partnered with a company that you're probably familiar with called Castlight. And this was just before Castlight went public. And as you remember, Castlight had a huge IPO and then it also had a huge you know, drop after the IPO. But when the IPO happened, they kind of saw that as like an early sign that health tech was kind of moving into kind of the mainstream of technology, right? Prior to that, there really wasn't a whole lot of instances of big health tech companies going public. I think Cerner may have been public. It was kind of the EMR generation, if you will. And there were some pretty early companies doing kind of digital therapeutics and that kind of thing. It was a very early market. And as a matter of fact, I remember talking to one of my friends who's a partner at a venture fund that does diversified investing across many multiple different sectors. And when I told him that we were going to launch a venture fund specifically focused on health tech, he got kind of upset because he was like, look, you know, these health tech companies, they've been bad investments up until now. And again, this is eight years ago. Nobody's ever made any money. It's incredibly hard. As a matter of fact, he's like, instead of you investing that money in health tech, you should just give that money to me so I can invest it, right? And things outside of healthcare, because he was just very passionate about that. It's funny. I remind him of that discussion every time I see him, given the the traction that health tech has made in the public markets and with big exits. But uh, it was very funny. I love it. That's a great story. You team me up for the next question. We're going to talk about that traction, health tech in the marketplace. And of course, the traction you guys have received and created and garnered over at Providence, Providence Ventures. Aaron, I'm going to tee you up for an elevator pitch. I know you have a lot of startups that come to you. They give their pitch to you and your team. So let's flip the script on you, Aaron. What is Providence? What is Providence Ventures? What does it mean for the industry? What are you guys leading the charge on? Providence Ventures is mainly focused on innovations that will help drive strategic value for Providence. And because we're a large health system and most health systems have generally similar problems, every time we're solving a problem for ourselves, there's probably a big total market opportunity for everybody else. And it's borne out to be true. We've got 28 portfolio companies, three of which we actually created and spun out. And they've all done exceptionally well. And it's not a complicated way. It's an easy to say, hard to do thing, which is we work with our organization to identify big needle moving opportunities for ourselves. We actually put a value on what is the economic and or clinical or operational value if we solve that problem for us. And then by extension, there's a big market for it. And we just let that kind of lead us. And the other thing that we do is is we always make sure that the commercial partnership happens first as much as we possibly can versus like an investment. And the reason that we want the commercial relationship to lead, if we can observe the company adding value within our context, we know they'll do well in others. That's just kind of a couple of quick notes about how we do the investing on Providence Ventures. And then Providence Ventures is one component of a bigger innovation ecosystem that we built 
We start off with these big needle moving opportunities. We walk them through a process of step one, do we already own a solution to the problem? If not, then we give it to Providence Ventures to go find a solution to the problem. If we can't find a solution to the problem out in the market with an existing company, then as a very last resort, we'll build a brand new company. We'll build new technology. So we've got 120 or so software engineers based in Seattle, and we'll actually innovate and create a new technology that doesn't exist. And then we'll spin it out as a separate company. With that, Aaron, do you guys have an entrepreneur in residence program? Where do you find the operator? So when you start spinning it out, how do you build the team around it? How do you know who to plug into? How does that look like in regards to creating an operating team around it? The first step is pretty straightforward. Like I said before, we determined that we can't find the solution elsewhere. And the reason why that's so important is I am a big believer that it is incredibly hard to catch up in health tech. Once somebody's got momentum in the market and they've got a good solution, it's a much better thing to kind of invest or partner with them. Like if you think they need to kind of, you know, change their product slightly or whatnot versus trying to kind of create a entirely new business that's maybe 20% better than what they're already doing. So that momentum really matters. If we do find kind of a blank space to kind of work in, we'll first identify what's the value metric we're trying to kind of achieve. Like, what are the inputs and outputs that we're trying to kind of achieve? We'll build an MVP, determine that we can kind of get signal to noise on the experiment, if you will. We'll scale it up, refine it. And then once we've got it to a decent scale where we can prove that it's a viable product and it's delivering what we want, then we'll try to sell it to another health system, right? And this is before we even have a management team. And that second kind of proof point, so if you think about it, these innovations go through different proof gates, if you will. The first one is, can you actually get the solution to do what you want it to do? The second proof gate is, will somebody else buy that solution? Because there is a chance that you could be kind of falling in love with your own cooking, or there's something idiosyncratic about your situation. So then we'll sell and install it to a second company. And then the third step in the process, which is actually, I think the biggest step is getting a, a senior management team in place, or at least a CEO. And so for DexCare, for instance, which is our latest spin out, we hunted for and got Derek Street, four-time, very successful exits uh, prior to DexCare. He also hired his chief commercial officer and they became EIRs. And that proof point is really important because I think it's the highest bar out of all of them because you're asking somebody to take five to seven years of their life and dedicate it to that problem, right? And so you know if you can get somebody really good to focus on that problem that you've got something because they're going to do their due diligence. They're going to see they can kind of make the business go. And then the last step in the validation process, if you will, is getting a even though we lead deals all the time outside of Providence Ventures, we'll typically not lead our own innovations. We'll typically look for an external VC to kind of lead that deal. And the reason why that's important is we want a bona fide price put on the asset, you know, so somebody who's not kind of related to us to set the price of the company. And then it's also more external validation. So it goes through these different validation steps. And it usually takes about a year or two from the time that we really decide we're going to kind of focus on the problem to that full spin out. It's not a quick process, but we do a lot of research. We take fewer shots on gold and say a venture studio outside of healthcare that can kind of run 
cheaper experiments and fail fast. It's much harder to do that within healthcare. So this is a different model. I love it. Thanks for that, Aaron. Let's go ahead and kind of quantify and frame it up. What does it look like today? What does Providence Ventures mean to the marketplace today? How big is it? What do the investments look like? And then, of course, we'll talk a little bit more of where things are heading tomorrow, what you're seeing on the horizon. But what does it look like today? Go ahead and frame it up. Yeah. So we've invested about 75% through $300 million fully kind of invested in fund one, which was the first $150 million fund. And then we're about halfway through fund two. We've got 28 portfolio companies. I'll tell you, fund one is performing at the top quartile of funds like that fund. Very, very happy with the returns. Between both funds, we've got several companies that have exceeded billion dollars in market cap. I think it's now up to five. And we've got another one that's probably on its way pretty quickly. In terms of the venture studio, So again, we have 28 portfolio companies. Three of those portfolio companies we actually created. And so that's Zelf, Wildflower, and Dexcare. And between those three companies, they've raised $150 million, and they're collectively worth more than half a billion. And they've grown incredibly fast. And again, it's because we have spotted a problem that is valuable for health systems to solve. And that implies a market. And you just got to make sure that you get an incredibly good management team to kind of lead and execute on the roadmap and the opportunity. Well, Aaron, thanks for that. You mentioned a company out of your portfolio, Zelf. Actually, I'm friends with Mike McSherry, their CEO, a mutual friend of ours. Let's use Zelf as a use case. What I also love is watching other national leading health systems Think of UPMC, think of an atrium, right? One of our mutual friends, Dr. Rasu Shrestha. How important is it to your fund and to your studio and to companies like Zelf that other systems across the nation are also laying bets and are also getting involved? Obviously, it's a validation point. But what does that mean for a company like Zelf to find eventual success? Because you know, as well as I do, it's very, very hard to find that fit, find that success in health tech. How important is it for your colleagues and your peers like the Rasus the UPMCs and the atriums of the world, the success of companies like Zelf? I mean, it's critically important. Like, obviously, we're a big customer and, you know, are important to our startups. Ultimately, my goal is for us to be probably as fast as possible, not their biggest customer. Definitely as fast as possible, not to be their only customer. And the reason why we do these spinouts, if you do the fund economics for Providence, we're a $300 million fund. If we triple the outcome of the fund, which would kind of put us in that top quartile performance, that's an incremental $600 million of value, right? Spread over, say, 10 years. That's about $60 million of value kind of amortized over a 10-year kind of investment period, let's say. That is dwarfed by our $12, $14 billion investment portfolio. It's not the reason why we're doing this. And we're in a $26 billion health system. It, you know, that financial return is not the reason why we're doing this. The reason why we're doing this is to sustain and to influence the innovations that are going on in the marketplace. And the reason why it's so important for other health systems to adopt these solutions as well and why it's super critical is because they actually make those products much, much better with their input as well. To give you an example of the leverage model that we get just in the venture studio, Zelf is a great example. When we first were working on the concept of Zelf, which is the ability to prescribe anything that's not pharmaceutical, just like you could a pharmaceutical directly from the EMR. So it's like the way that physicians can prescribe from their EMR 
say, for instance, an app or content or products or services, right? Literally anything outside of a pharmaceutical without having to leave their workflow. So when we came up with that idea with Mike and team, we had four people working on it internally, right? Maybe I could have afforded to internally have, I don't know, 10, 12 people working on it. But because we spun it out, I could have, you know, 64 people that are now on that team. They've raised, you know, tens of millions of dollars to kind of fund their R&D on that. And then most importantly, they've had, you know, I think 10, 15 other health systems kind of adopt the solution and give them feedback. So you get this kind of leverage model of like, we don't have to pay the full freight of a very expensive development program. You get better feedback from the market and it improves the product and the roadmap. And it also, most importantly to us, it creates a sustainable technology platform for us to be able to use indefinitely that continues to add value to us. Well, thanks for framing that up. Really do appreciate that, Aaron. Then let's talk about future state. A lot of things have changed over the past two and a half years, obviously, compounded by COVID and things will continue to accelerate. I think we're seeing that. I was recently with you in Tennessee and we had a conversation around the great resignation and what does it look like, you know, with this crisis and this epidemic within healthcare and our healthcare workers and making sure we help empower them. So things are going to continue to change and accelerate. Aaron, what are you seeing on the horizon over the next two or three years? And of course, we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs and innovators that tune into the podcast. What should they be mindful of? You know, what would your advice be for those types of leaders? What are you seeing over the next two to three years that one you're excited about or that we should be mindful of and that we should be really thinking about moving forward? I think one of the things, and I've been around for a while and I've seen probably three big technology boom and bust cycles and they all fall the same exact pattern, right? So I think we're probably nearing the top of the kind of the hype cycle and we're probably getting close to a deflationary period in the bubble, let's say, from the investment standpoint. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to see, and with our portfolio companies, we always tell them, make sure you've got a really solid 24 months of runway so they could ride out any kind of tough financing markets, et cetera. The business cycle, some of this is black swan events. Like, you know, today when I'm talking to you or Ukraine is being invaded, it could be any number of different things. Back in 2020, I had a similar conversation with our portfolio CEOs and said, look, been in a very long bull market, very positive financing market. Just be prepared for kind of a pullback, right? And I was exactly right for the exactly wrong reasons. <laughs> I did not predict the pandemic, but it's been this kind of expansionary period. And so I think, you know, health tech and the entrepreneurs need to be prepared for that. And I think that's a healthy thing. And generally what happens in that kind of Gartner hype cycle is, you get this kind of this process where these expectations around how technology will transform a very complicated industry get overwrought. And then they get overwrought on the downside as well. Like nothing works, you know, magically change healthcare to nothing will work at all. And then it settles out to kind of here's how it actually adds value. and The technology finds its place, rinse, lather, repeat. This happens over and over again. And as a matter of fact, we talked about earlier in the podcast, when I started, we were kind of in like a little mini kind of boom and bust cycle that we kind of experienced there for you know a couple of years where had a few kind of high profile IPOs in health tech that didn't go well afterwards. 
And so I think, you know, it takes time for things to settle out. And I think one of the things that the near-term opportunities for entrepreneurs to be thinking about with respect to that we're focusing on is find problems that aren't going to (laughs) resolve anytime soon. Good news, healthcare is full of them. We're not known as a self-healing industry. Problems tend to persist and they actually start to get almost institutionalized. The latest one is the workforce crisis. That is an existential threat to the health systems. We're seeing massive increases in cost. Business model at these cost levels are not sustainable. And so there's a bunch of different angles and ways that technology can kind of help with that that I think are really interesting. So that's a huge area. Another huge area is one of our biggest problems that I still don't think the industry really understands or appreciates because we're not used to thinking about it is the complete lack of engagement by patients in their healthcare. So if you think about a health system, we see patients two and a half times a year because we only see them when they're sick and they need care, right? Any entity, any organization that has that little continuous interaction with their customer base is in danger of being disrupted because somebody else is going to create that engaged relationship. My team is focused a lot on, in addition to the workforce crisis, is how do we build a highly engaged relationship digitally with our patients, right? And there's a bunch of techniques around that as well. So, you know, those are two big opportunities. The third big opportunity for health systems are how to build a much more seamless navigation between venues of care, as well as between the payer and the provider. So how do you kind of not trouble the patient between like you're going between kind of the payer world into the provider world and then back, or you're going from your primary care physician to a specialist, to a procedure, et cetera. Those different kind of transition changes were horrible about with healthcare. We drop a lot of balls for our patients. And I think that's a huge opportunity as well. Well, certainly a lot on the horizon and a lot of opportunity for our innovators, our entrepreneurs and others, even intrapreneurs, leaders that are working in with large established institutions as well to think through how we can be solving exactly what you laid out. So thank you for that, Aaron. Of course, we want to flip the script on you, even though, you know, you're one of our national leading thought leaders in this space. All of us can always use a little help from our friends. And so we'll flip the script on you, given the incredible community rallied around this podcast. What's one problem, need, or question that you and the team have that our community and audience can be helping you with? You know, I think the biggest thing that we're looking for is ways of helping our caregivers. So our clinicians, our nurses, et cetera, lower the tax on them for working in healthcare. So in other words, meaning like the burden emotionally, from a burnout standpoint, from an exhaustion standpoint, what innovations can kind of help them? Because this is, you know, the most critical industry. I can't think of one more critical. And if, you know, people kind of throw in the towel on it and decide they don't want to be a nurse or they don't want to be a physician anymore or whatever, we're in trouble as a society. That has been the biggest stressor that COVID has brought, I think, to our society is its impact on the healthcare system. And You know, we're beyond kind of stretched, you know, we're in the kind of breaking area. Any ideas that people have around, you know, how to help our clinicians be more resilient, to lower their burnout, and to help them bring joy back into the reason why that they kind of got into medicine in the first place, I think is a huge thing. It absolutely is and needed now more than ever. 
So with that, Aaron, how can we get a hold of you? How can the community touch base with you online, social media handles, websites, or otherwise? Best way to kind of get in touch with me is through Twitter at Aaron Martin FC, Frank Charlie. That's my handle. Aaron Martin FC. Easy enough. When you get on Twitter, you'll see his profile picture like we talked earlier. You'll see him behind the symbols. You'll see him in the drum kit playing some drums. So yeah, you're not at the uh, wrong oh, Twitter handle. You, see a, <laughs> you see are not drummer. at the wrong Twitter handle. If you see a guy behind <laughs> a drum drums. kit, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you're absolutely at the right spot. So thank you for that, Aaron. Of course, we'll leave those contact points online. So just drop into your favorite podcast player, drop into the episode notes, click on through to get a hold of Aaron and the team. You can also head over to our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. There will be a post for Aaron's episode where you can click on through to get a hold of him and the team, as well as leave comments, feedback, and suggestions for the community. Again, over at passionatepioneers.com. Well, Aaron, I know we can continue to talk about this. We're both very passionate about this space. We'll let you get back at it, cause some more good trouble for all of us across the country. But before we let you go, got to fill in the blank for you. I'm a passionate pioneer because? I'm a passionate pioneer because I want patients to have access to care in the easiest, most fundamental way. Easy enough to be said, something that we all need to continue to stay laser focused on because it is tough work, but we need to answer the call. Our members, our community members, and and patients across the nation definitely deserve it. So thank you for that, Aaron. Of course, thank you so much for taking a pit stop today. This has been long overdue. I've just been waiting for this time to spend with you on this podcast. So thank you for taking the opportunity to be with us today and be with our community. Wishing you all the best. I'm sure we'll be seeing you out on the road here soon. But for now, Aaron, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thanks, Mike. This has been a blast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.